Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people. The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on issues dealing with the news media of recent days, and we welcome you to join in the conversation. I'm Rex Smith with our panel of veteran journalists, Rosemary Armeo, Ira Fussfeld, and of course we have Dr. Alan Sharktuck, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, here as well. What do you say, of course? <laughs> of course. It's just, uh, it's it's always wonderful for you to host us here, Alan, you know, and open your home to us. This it, is it is true, and a beautiful, stunning building it is. Yes. And there was a lady who walked in one day, and she looked, and she said, I thought you worked in a big building. This is a dump. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Charming. <laughs> How nice. <laughs> anyway, and it's lovely to be here in person. Again, this is our third in person in uh, the last 20 months, and it's just a wonderful thing to have. So I want to get y'all's reaction to start here to uh, something that the President of the United States said at the end of the summit in Geneva. President Biden was asked a question that made him testy. He didn't like the question because it implied that he was being oh, overly gullible, let's say, of Putin. And then he came over afterwards, a half hour later, just before boarding Air Force One, and he uh, apologized to the press. He said, I shouldn't have been such a wise guy with the last answer. And here's what he said that I'd like to get the reaction of our panel to. Biden said, look, to be a good reporter, you've got to be negative. you got to have a negative view of life, okay? It seems to me the way you all, you never ask a positive question. So, Rosemary, let me start with you. Is, is the president right? Do you have to be kind of negative to be a, a good reporter? Yes. <laughs> you do. As an investigative reporter, if you spend time investigating a complaint or a, an issue or a problem and you find everything is hunky-dory, you are disappointed because that is not a good story. But it's also what the public wants, too, and expects from the news media. No happy news site has ever taken off or made money. If you read four stories in a week, three are positive and one is negative, the one story you'll repeat is the negative one. We are wired for bad news. That is what news is about, things that are different from and out of the norm. So he's right. And that question was negative. It was completely legitimate. Are you really sure you think that looks good? That's an advance? Come on. Except yeah. the Except question was not entirely accurate. She said, why are you so confident? The reporter said that. I, I don't think he expressed that kind of confidence as the question suggested. And I'm not sure that I would, I don't like to use the word negative. I think the press is engaged in asking relevant and often difficult questions. And if they're negative, that's the interpretation of the person who's being asked, who would rather not have any question other than, uh, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Ira, come on. When you hear a question from Fox News versus one from CNN, you can't tell the difference. One comes from a things are wrong, own up to it, and the other is, oh, tell us about the good things. That's a positive and a negative spin. It seems to me there's another way to parse this, and that is that there's a smart negative and a dumb negative. There are some dumb reporters who just ask dumb, hostile questions for the sake of asking yeah. them. And there are some brilliant reporters who really know how to get in there and ask the right questions negatively. And isn't there a real value to asking a sharp question, even if you know that it's not precisely accurate, but you're going to elicit some response that's going to really get to the heart of what somebody wants to say? What so somebody's I, thinking, I mean. Not really if you worked for the New York Times, you would be right. 
If you work for the New York Post, you get credit for just asking a dumb negative question no matter what. So, uh, you know, I think that there's a different way of looking at this. But going to my, uh, Rosemary's question, Rosemary's point that basically good news doesn't sell, that we've not had a happy news success story. Doesn't that, however, breed the sort of contempt for journalism that people often raise, that they say, oh, you people are just all so negative. Why are you always looking at the bad news? Well, the fault is on the news media, who does not go into certain communities, especially until there's bad news, a murder, a robbery, a, a horrible fire. And we haven't been there to talk about the kids who get scholarships, about the wonderful block parties. There's absolutely a need for, and it's good reporting to go in and know a community and to cover it and know all the people, the players in it, which we don't do a good job on because we don't have the resources of the people, basically. But that's not the main stories that people remember. And when they say they want local good coverage, what they want are cool national stories at a local level. They want Monica Lewinsky and Latham. You know? <laughs> they do. They want exciting, interesting, meaty stories that are at the local level. That's not the same as what we give them as good news stories. You know what we give them? Read the Times Union. It's like dogs come to classes and help kids with test anxiety and, oh, a new way to learn math using things that you touch rather than thinking. It's the same horrible thing we do over and over again as a formula for good news. Ira, do you have a, is that I, your I just, experience? Uh, yes, but I again, I go back to I don't think a difficult question has to be a negative question. And I, that's not suggesting I'm putting a, a ribbon and trying to make it look pretty. I think there is a distinction. By the way, his apology to the reporter of CNN notwithstanding, Biden or any president or any CEO should be expecting difficult questions and not snapping at these reporters. Well, you, uh, you know, this is not calling them the enemy of the people. We who are reporters and editors are used to that kind of reaction from the people we interview. Nevertheless, it doesn't make it right. And particularly on that stage where Biden is representing not just himself, but in the United States and democracy, theoretically, against Russia, he should not be criticizing our press for being negative. And Let's, he acknowledged that, right, yeah, with the apology. Yeah. That was that was a well, wonderful too thing. Little, nothing too we late. saw from Trump. Yeah, well, and his negativity late. was just was nothing compared to the snapping yeah. that Andrew Cuomo exhibits all oh, the yeah. time, Absol by the way, absolutely. and nothing compared to Donald Trump, right? Ab absolutely. There was another facet to this which we haven't mentioned. He wasn't apologizing to the whole press corps. He was mm -hmm. apologizing to That's one right. woman who was a reporter and an excellent reporter for CNN. Look. Somebody in his group can probably pull him aside and said, you know, this isn't good. Right. You, you didn't do the right well, thing. Well, it wasn't here. a good look. You're snapping at a reporter. You're snapping at a female reporter. Yeah. And it just didn't serve him well. But it is, it is also true, I think, that people overstate the negativity of the news media. It seems to me that most of what is reported in a daily issue of a newspaper or on a news site or most of what you hear daily on WAMC is neither negative nor positive. It is just fact. You know, look at the page after page of news coverage that is uh, sports. Is it is it bad news that the Yankees won or good news? Depends on your perspective. You know, is it it is actually the majority of what you see is neutral. It is what gets our attention uh, gets us. You know, Rex, I don't know. We have a wonderful young reporter here who's on with our producer of this program, Speed Gustina, and she every morning does the sports. 
And in this board, she says, the so-and-sos dump the... Dumped. You know, in other words, there, there's a negative thing for anybody who won or lost. I find that <laughs> extremely interesting. So I put my head in there at this very morning, and I said, do you get those from the AP? She those said, herbs, this yeah. Or, yeah. She said, no, I think I'm up. <laughs> well, there's only so many ways that a reporter can say beat. I mean, yeah. You use different words each time. Former sports editor speaking there. That yeah, but that is true. editorializing, too. Yeah. But, but we, it goes beyond verbs in a sports story. Everything is a battle. Everything is conflict. We look for the sore points and then pick at that scab. We yeah, do it. I didn't care for the characterization of the press conference as dueling press conferences. Exactly. It suggests that they fighting. were both on the stage at the same time with swords drawn. Yeah. And yeah. isn't this what gives rise to something we've often decried on this show, which is the cable news talk fests, the constant effort to get conflict on the panel, the constant evocation of how bad things are in order to get people's attention, which seems to me to be the way that the cable channels are... What the hell do you mean by that, Russ? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like that. Yeah, but yeah. also, I know what I do. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sitting there watching CNN and I say, ah, this is boring. And I go two channels up and I get MSNBC. Uh, so these guys are competing with each other also. And they know the very rules we're talking about now as attack journalism and what people are going to like and not. They study it all the time. As we all do. You know, here's an example. The next topic on this program is UFOs. All right. Now, let's see if anybody is going to turn off the show who's listening out there, right? In other there, words, right? they're not. They're not, because this is a great topic, UFO I coverage. love this topic. <laughs> see? <laughs> I love this topic because they damn well are UFOs, and people who deny it just don't know what they're talking about, period. <laughs> it depends on what you mean by a UFO. What do you mean they don't know what they're talking about? I anyway. mean, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> we have this universe. Look up into the sky. You see 10,000 million dots of stars. Are we so arrogant to think we're it? Ridiculous. <laughs> so where are they? They've had enough time to scout us out. Why aren't they here? We see them. The we... airline pilots see them. The no, Navy they see un them. something unidentified, thus a UFO. They're well, unidentified. What the hell do you think that is? I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm here to tell you we are here. I got it. Phones. And I've always suspected you, Rosemary. <laughs> so why is there suddenly all this coverage? Well, of course, it's because the there is a government study actually underway. And this was funded by Congress quietly, pushed by Harry Reid when he was was the majority leader of the Senate in 2007, actually, that long ago. And we're just now beginning to hear about this. Even Barack Obama appeared on the Late Late Show and said, yeah, I'm aware of this. But it is such a great topic because people have a reaction the way Alan just did, saying, hey, it's out there. It's out there. We ought to pay attention to it. And this is why news media ends up covering it, because it gets people's attention and it does distract, however, from the big issues that we've got well, to be covering. Well, what about the sources here? Now, this is interesting because there is a general sense among people that they've been around for years and the government has known about it for years. You mean from Woodrow Wilson knew about it? And, Who's and, they? The aliens? No, 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 no. The government knew about it and has known about it. it and for some reason, when Trump comes into office and Obama goes out of office, there is a secret handshake and it says, we're never going to talk about the UFOs. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous. If, if the government had it, Rosemary and like-minded investigative reporters would have found out about it a long time ago. So you mean it's not like QAnon, the stuff that's out there that we don't know? It certainly isn't like QAnon. QAnon is wrong. There are UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, so see, there we go. We justify the fact that we're doing coverage that people have to hear. If you have thoughts about UFOs or about whether negativity is rampant inappropriately in media or not, media at wamc.org is how you can interact with us. Just send us email, and we would love to uh, talk about it. I'm Rex Smith here with Rosemary Romeo and Ira Fussfeld and Alan Shartok, and, and uh, we're talking about what's going on with the news media. You know, you made a, a point before about what people trust, Alan, about what it is that folks are willing to listen to. There's a new study out that is trying to explore what it is that makes a story credible in the minds of reporters. And a broad majority say there are several things. The element that seems to be very significant for Americans is the news organization that publishes a story. It is a very important factor in deciding whether a news story they read is trustworthy. They say the news organization itself is more important than the sources cited in the story, the gut instinct, the specific journalist, whoever shares the story with them. So what that suggests is that if a brand is old and established, its stories are going to be taken more seriously. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised. No, I don't think that's the conclusion. I think that the study emphasizes in today's terms what has always been the case. Go Long before there was an Internet, when you were in New York City and there were 13 daily newspapers, you picked up the one that you trusted and you felt that was the most interesting and the most reliable. So Has that changed? No, it hasn't changed. It's changed in that there are no longer 13 newspapers in New York, <laughs> but whatever the media of your choice, you're going to choose the one that you think is yes. the most trustworthy. Yes, Ira, but don't you think that the New York Times has a reputation, whether deserved or not, I want to add, for stability? Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah. the question is, are people reading or not reading the New York Times based on what they perceive is their trustworthiness? Well, it, well, it and is, you know that the Fox News crowd yeah. is not reading the New York Times necessarily or certainly is disbelieving of much of what is in the New York Times. Do you believe Times. the New York Times is a newspaper of record in the United yes. States? Yes. Well, so do I. And, you know, so I think that there's a certain amount of credibility. Sure, there are people, 73 million people voted for Donald Trump, and Fox is the leading cable news channel. So we know, as in the case of the aliens, they're out there. (laughs) 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 Don't you see? You know, I I think people pick what they're going to read. This certainly has an influence, but they pick topics. And I had an experience in Bosnia with a news organization that was American-funded, American government-funded, run by American editors with Bosnian reporters. We were cast as, oh, but the CIA, don't read them. You know, we were maligned. And yet we did a story that no Bosnian press ever picked up on, which was on the quality of food. Bosnians are very proud of their food. So we went and tested food in restaurants and food market. We found a bunch of salmonella and stale stuff and all these things that you would expect. And we ran this. And we became a national phenomenon because people read the story. We were a malign news source, had no history, but we were writing about something people care about deeply. So you write about food and sleep and children and sex, and you're going to get readers. I want to ask you guys a question because you're such experts. The three of you really are on this, and it's something that has bothered me for quite a while, and you'll poo-poo it. But doesn't the fact that one person or another is an editor, the top person on a state, and says to his reporters, you know, that guy I don't like. Go after that guy. Now, I know in one case I've seen it. Poo-poo. No. (laughs) Doesn't happen. (laughs) Never happens. Not never happens, but... uh, Well, it does. Wait a second. You say not never. It doesn't happen or doesn't it happen? 
I know it's happened to me. I'm asking you a question as to whether or not, and we went, we didn't even go into that again. But there are editors who don't like some people and say this person needs a certain amount of investigation. Well, something happened once thirty years ago. I suppose well, it more happened than from your understanding of it, but more than thirty years ago. But I, but that's not how most journalism is done. So the and, three of you nope. looking up to the stars. And knowing that this is an honesty question and that you will be hit by a lightning bolt if you lie, are going to tell me you have never seen an editor go after somebody that that editor didn't like. Not in the United States. I certainly nope. have overseas. Yeah, fact, I haven't either. There's a huge problem there where reporters will come in. It's just like you say. And Your credibility. They'll, they'll I, would rule, I wouldn't rule it out. There. I definitely don't think it's the norm. I have never seen oh, it. I don't think it's the norm. I, and I have never seen it personally. But I could never be, seen it, personally. it would not be hard for me to be convinced either. that that is done at certain news outlets. But, you know, the fact is most... Most reporters, if an editor wants a story, will find a reason not to do it. Mm-hmm. With all due respect, mm-hmm. uh, once a person becomes an editor, you know, I was a pretty good reporter. And as soon as I became an editor, I didn't know a damn thing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like the father and the son. Yeah. yeah. Good way to kill a story is to sign it to a reporter. So I would sometimes, if I thought there was a good story out there that somebody would bring to my attention, I would go back to that individual brought it to my attention and say, here's what you do. You, you ought to get it so that the reporter finds it. The reporter has to stumble across it so the reporter thinks that she or he has found it and will bring it to the editor and say, hey, That's look at this. So and, you don't oh. think that in a newspaper or in a broadcast newsroom, the assignment editor or the main editor has a, the mayor of the town look shady to this editor and says, go out and see what you can find oh, yeah. about that. Not just look shady, but if you have a matter that seems to be... No, we're not talking about that, Rex. Valid. That's not what we're saying. We no. are saying, Ira is saying, Vendetta. I believe, you know, this is somebody I don't particularly like. No. See what you can find. No, out. I wouldn't characterize it as like, but it's somebody I'm suspicious of. I wouldn't make it a personal issue. Well, when you sure. say I'm suspicious of, that's a personal well, issue. No, that's no but uh, then you're suspicious of the job performance. But more often, it is when you come across, I mean, the 99% of the time, there is a real legitimate issue. There are far more legitimate issues than newsrooms have people to cover. Two great stories just now, the Tampa Bay Times, which used to be called the St. Petersburg Times, a wonderful newspaper, did an 18-month investigation into lead dangers at a Florida factory. You know, there's this place that takes 50,000 old car batteries a day and they extract the lead. That's a huge factory. They melt the lead in the furnace and they forge it into new blocks. So what a surprise. Its workers are dying. They have these health issues that are amazing. Increased blood pressure, kidney dysfunction. A great investigative piece um, that was just uh, reported at TampaBay.com. So this is the kind of thing that is what journalists do. The New York Times just did an investigation into Amazon. Now, many people don't like Jeff Bezos, and apparently some of his foibles are behind some of the things that the New York Times found about Amazon likes to churn through employees because Bezos thinks it's better to have new employees. They're more malleable. They're more fresh. And so people don't rise. So this is could this could be a result of an editor getting a hunch about something, getting a tip about something, and saying to the staff, hey, look into this. But then you have to do the investigation. You do the reporting. You don't just go out and write something because the editor doesn't like somebody. Well, I talk about happy news. Yeah. <laughs> and let's remember that people are at different points in their careers with news organizations. Some are very young, and when their job is precious to them, and if the editor says something, how high can you jump? Whereas, you know, some of the older folks 
like you guys, would be more likely to, you know, spit in a guy's eye if he asked you to do something unethical. Well, I don't think, is anybody suggesting Wait, 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 Rosemary, you're shaking her head. No, I want to know. No, I I don't see that. I mean, when you're a reporter, you want to impress your editor, becomes your parent, your mentor. And so you're more likely to go in and say, you don't have that exactly right. Look what I found. That's not going along with everything you want. Do you remember for a second the way in which Perry White spoke to Clark Kent? Perry White, yes. <laughs> yes, here we go. Fiction. Don't call Fiction. me chief. You know, when I was in a newsroom, when we all started out, it was a mixed place of young and old. And you learned much more from the older reporters who taught you how things were really done than you ever did from your editor. Your editor was someone you had to obey, not someone you learned from. That's changed now because there are so few older people left. We've all been bought out. Um, well, I also found one. there was a lot less deference among the younger uh, The younger people were not as deferential to their, to their superiors as I was. Yeah, they figured you were going to die. It didn't matter. <laughs> No, but when I came into the business as a as a brand new person, that editor had had been in the business thirty years. I listened to him. Yeah, uh, I thought his advice was worth listening to. Uh, maybe they just didn't think that of me when I was here's, uh, had people. Here's what the old guys tell you: we, When I was a young reporter in the Newsday newsroom, there was an old rewrite guy named Tom Demaretsky, and everybody had on their desk a spike where you would put you give one copy of your story to the editor and one hard copy. You yeah. would oh, she would spike not have approved desk. that. No, your uh, hand no, would not have approved it. But they did approve um, that lead plant. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was walking past Demaretsky's desk in my first week on the job, and I was whistling, and he looked up at me. He said. If you whistle again in this newsroom, <laughs> I'll put a spike through your eye. <laughs> it's oh, a, the good old days. It, it is, is, that, is that bad luck. It is oh, it's bad, luck. bad luck to be whistling in a newsroom. I like throwing salt. That, uh, whistling sure. past the graveyard? Yeah, 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 something yeah, like that's that. That's funny. So uh, I never whistled again. I Still, I would never whistle in a newsroom in honor of Tom Demaretsky. Let's I had an it. editor once who outlawed swearing in a newsroom. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. You can imagine the reaction. <laughs> I know. Exactly. <laughs> But you but you you almost have to do that by law now. You can't have it. Well, yes, that is true. There is a, a different. You can't uh, swear at a person or throw a typewriter at them, which also. Well, but if you if you were throwing f bombs all over the newsroom, you would be accused of hostile work environment. Anyway, we were talking about some of these great investigations that have just come out, and we should make note of the fact that since our last program, the Pulitzer Prizes have been announced. Uh, Usually they're announced in April. They came out in June this year so that the Pulitzer Prize board, which makes the final decisions, could actually meet in person. And there are some really wonderful bits of reporting that were recognized. The so-called top award, I guess, the Pulitzer gold medal, went to the uh, staff of the New York Times for public service for covering the coronavirus. But there was a special award given to Darnella Frazier, the young woman who filmed George Floyd's murder. She's not actually a, oh, interesting. a journalist, mm-hmm. but they gave her a special award for courageously recording the murder of George Floyd, a video that spurred protests against police brutality around the world, highlighting the crucial role of citizens in journalists' quest for truth mm. and justice. That is a mark of how changed journalism is, that we even think about the role of citizens in content creation, isn't it? It's really interesting. Yeah, because that story would not have existed without that participation. There was an interesting piece about the difference between what this teenager did versus a professional journalist. And the paper, the St. Paul paper, also won a Pulitzer for coverage of George Floyd. Minneapolis. So, uh, Minneapolis, Star I'm Tribune. sorry, you're uh-huh. right. Yep. So it isn't as if the professional journalist fell down on the job, but this was an act of 
courage and witnessing. She had a nine-year-old cousin with her who also watched this. She stood there and watched a murder. She's had psychological trouble since. She courageously went and reported it in court testimony. So it's journalism in the best sense, witnessing what's happening. But also she had the courage to tell it when she's not trained. That's not her advocacy even. It's an amazing work. It reminds me of the young man who took the picture at Kent State of the shootings. And the young woman has her arms out. She's yelling for help in front of the body of one of the dead guys. He just fell into journalism because he was there. And it makes me wonder if she also will go now into journalism. You know, we have fought out who's a journalist in this panel many, many times. I've always been for the broadest possible interpretation of who's a journalist. I don't think if you have a degree from a journalism school that that makes the difference. I think it's a matter of orientation in your mind. You you could not have taught her to do this. No. She had the instinct that I have to keep this camera going, even if it brings risk to me. One of the other elements of the uh, Pulitzers that is interesting to note is the collaboration that is rewarded. The National Reporting Prize went to four organizations, the Marshall Project, which is a not-for-profit newsroom that reports on criminal justice, AL.com, which is Birmingham, Alabama, the Indianapolis Star, IndyStar.com, and the Invisible Institute in Chicago. Those four collaborated on a criminal justice investigation and got the National Reporting Prize. That kind of collaboration across news organizations is a new phenomenon that arises in part because of the shortage of journalists, that is, the number of news organizations that have expired. How does one get a Pulitzer? I mean, I'd like to have a Pulitzer for the WAMC uh, news team, but I'm wondering, do you get nominated? You can nominate yourself. You simply go to the website and uh, submit your material, and it goes before each of these categories, the 15 categories or so, has a jury that is selected by the Pulitzer Prizes, which are administered by the Columbia Journalism School under the terms of the You went there, didn't you? You were number one in your class. (laughs) Yes, and this is my turn to do what I do every year at this time, is to bemoan the fact that once again, and there were no Pulitzer Prizes awarded for sports writing. There have only been four four in the history. I can name them. There's so few. Jim Murray, Red Smith, Arthur Daly, and Dave Anderson, the only four Pulitzer Prize-winning sports people. And at the same time, it is often generally acknowledged that sports has the best and most colorful writing and does a lot of investigative reporting on its own, in yes, its own pages. Yes, but, those, yes uh, but, but, uh, but I think the Pulitzer Committee is smart enough to know that sports are the opiate of the proletariat. <laughs> oh, yeah, boy, here we go. <laughs> well, they're all annoyed this year that no editorial cartoon prize. That's another one, out. although there yeah. usually well, is one. There's so that. few editorial cartoonists. That's less, what I uh, think. Right. When the wonderful Rex Babin was the editorial cartoonist for the Times Union, he said, you know, there's so few of us that eventually we're all going to win We're one. all going to have yeah. one. They didn't put out any statement as to why not, though. That's that's a shame. Mm-hmm. They could have they could have said we need more. So anyway, Alan, to your to finish the question, oh, there's a jury in each category. Yeah. I you a juror, I've right? been a juror a couple yeah. of times. And then uh, the jurors recommend three finalists, and that goes to the Pulitzer Prize Board, which is a more mm. august group. It includes people from different disciplines, not just journalism. And that's how they're able to give awards as well for fiction writing, general nonfiction, autobiography, music, poetry. So those are often overlooked. Is one for running a radio station? Actually, there is a, an audio reporting Pulitzer, which was won by National Public Radio. I think NPR See, And that is one does. of the things I have objection to. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I think the idea that 
the same old people who are regarded as the most grandiose of the Times, the Washington Post, and others, and NPR, which I do not have all that much respect for. I think um, they do great work. And I if do you too. do the work that matches theirs, Alan, I bet you win a Pulitzer. Yeah, well, I get it. But, you know, I think, <laughs> I think too much kiss-ass going on around here. I see. All right. On that point, <laughs> we're yeah. done. Did you say kiss-ass on the radio? I think so. Oh, wow. That opens <laughs> up all kinds of possibilities. <laughs> That's the media project for this week. Rosemary Aramayo. <laughs> <laughs> Ira Fussfeld, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith with gratitude to our producer, David Gustina, and to Ooh, you for listening to us. Heavy editing this week. <laughs> On the Media Project. <laughs>